This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. Kia ora, you're listening to the locals on Free FM 89.0, called Dan Armstrong Tokoingoa. It's a busy time for Ngāti Mania Porto as they go through the settlement process after decades of injustice. And in the middle of all that, COVID-19 returns, forcing another lockdown. That's why when I caught up with today's guest, we dug into how the vaccination rollout is going, supporting tribal members and combating misinformation. This is The Locals, and this is Mania Porto Trust Board Chair, Keith Eichen. How has it been locally dealing with the lockdown? I think, um, I think Dan, we've had the um, experience of having been through it before. And so what happened the first time last year uh, was we got together a pretty um, strong network across our part of the region, um, service providers, government agencies, local governments, iwi, and uh, we've maintained uh, a, a relationship from last year. So we were able to basically get ourselves up and running pretty quickly. Um, last year we had a call centre. Um, we got that back up again uh, this time round. So connection was our primary focus, is just to ensure that our families knew um, that there was someone to go to if they needed anything. Um, but we were also being proactive because, you know, we know that there are those of our um, families within our communities who um, who don't seek help. Uh, and so we, we were looking to just be proactive and ensuring as best as we could that um, those in need had access um, to support, whatever that support might be. So, you know, short answer is that... Um, we, we had a template that we picked up again. Um, I think, um, you know, the learnings from the first time around, we've, we've, we've built on that. And um, I, I think overall, um, you know, we've been able to mobilise ourselves as a community and the board's been able to play, you know, I think, um, a key role in that. Has there been any particular requests for support um, locally, like through the call centre call centre, and the like? I think um, there were families that were called out. So we've got you know, a pretty large rural community and uh, there were those uh, families who, you know, within the first 48 hours, we needed to get some sort of support to in terms of, you know, access to food and those sorts of things. Um, you know, we had elderly people who usually, you know, have a niece or a, you know, a close friend that brings them in to get the shopping and, and obviously that couldn't happen under level four. So um, we sort of identified those families pretty quickly 
Um, but I think the second group has really been, as it, as it sort of um, went on um, and you got into the sort of second week of lockdown, 10 days, 11 days in, you know, you started to also get families that were starting to feel the punch. Um, and that, I think, was when our food banks in particular were most stretched. Um, so those were sort of the, the, the sort of key key groupings. The other group has been, you know, our, our families that are in Auckland um, who have sort of borne the brunt of this. Um, we have... 90% of our population, tribal population, lives out of the tribal region and a significant number live in Auckland. Um, so, you know, we've worked hard to connect with providers in Auckland to ex to provide access uh, for our um, whānau in Auckland to, to services. When we record this, Auckland is still in Level 4. We're lucky enough to be in Level 2. Um, given that you uh, learnt a heap of lessons from the first, well, from the lockdowns last year. Um, are there any key lessons that you're already sort of picking out um, that, well, ideally you won't have to implement in a future lockdown, um, but lessons that you're, you're, you're looking to implement in the future? I think central government agencies, um, I think they still need to work on delegation I think they, they need to trust uh, local communities more. Um, so, for example, uh, families that um, were looking to access food packs from food banks had to apply through MSD. And um, that, was, that was something that hadn't happened previously. And we had families that were waiting, you know, 40 minutes to get through to speak to somebody. They were then getting questioned on um, almost almost like a sort of means testing discussion was happening over the line. And, um, you know, we know of families that just were um, put off um, by that and some of those families in need um, didn't actually go through with um, seeking support. So... You know, I, I, I don't mean to single, sing, single out MSD because MSD are fantastic and they provide resourcing directly to food banks, which is greatly appreciated. You know, they've been, they've been great to work with. I just think there are elements in their approach um, that, that could be streamlined. And I think part of that streamlining is you know, delegate more to the people on the ground. You know, we work very closely um, on the ground with civil defence, with police, um, with local governments. We know our communities. We know if there are people that um, are looking to, um, you know, I'll use the word exploit the system. We know that and we can monitor that and we can manage that. Um, so... Yeah, my, my key learning that, um, you know, I've, I've, I will be reflecting um, when we have a meeting later this afternoon with ministers, because uh, ministers are meeting weekly with iwi chairs, um, is to seek a greater level of local delegation um, of, um, 
um, the setting up and delivery of services. In the last few days, the Aomori News um, released numbers that showed that about 14% of all vaccine doses were delivered in partnership with or by Māori health providers. Given that you've already mentioned um, the need to you know, delegate and localise um, these supports, um, how is the rollout going in the Maniapotorohi? Um, you know, I'm conscious that you don't just have Tikuiti or Otrahanga. You know, you've got some really distant places like Marakopa. How are you able to provide vaccinations and, and test uh, um, members out there? I think, number one, I think our service providers, in terms of um, supporting the vaccination rollout within the region, do a fantastic job um, across the board, all of them. Um, and we have uh, the Tomara Nui Trust, um, a local Māori provider, which is a, they're a significant organisation within our, our region. Um, they have been key, I think, along with the Manipuru Murai Pack Trust, and really connecting into Māori communities. Um, um, part of the challenge around getting out into... Um, rural communities has been the support from the DHB around mobile services. And so um, just want to, um, you know, put a bouquet out for the chair of the D- DHB, uh, Karen Potasi, who, um, you know, we contacted within 24 hours. She was working with our local providers, Tamarunui Kokiri. Um, we had a service um that access to DHB's um, mobile units, and that was getting out into our into our um, into our um, rural communities. So um, initially, it was a slow start. Initially, um, you know, some of our rural communities, Māori communities within our region, weren't coming forward um, to access um, their vaccinations, and I think. Um, a big part of um, having, you know, groups like Tomarunui Kōkiri um, leading that out is that they are able to connect with our communities, communicate with our communities. Um, these the people that are um, doing the work that are in the in the um, centres administering uh, the vaccinations are they're our own cousins, you know, they're our own nieces. And, and so um, it's a different level of uh, connection that they're able to create. At the beginning of this week, I believe, you had David Seymour um, doing some pretty ridiculous things um, with releasing multi-priority codes. Um, and overall this year, there's, there's been a decent amount of, of rhetoric um, from various politicians. Um, this is all happening at the same time as you have, you know, local uh, uh, vaccinations at Marae um, and efforts around the country. Um, and that's awesome. What would your message be to a uh, any politicians that, well, frankly, want to punch down or try and get a few more polling percentage um, by, well, bashing Māori? 
Well, it's, a, it's in the best interests of all of us, for everyone to be accessing um, this, this drive around vaccination. It makes no sense to only have certain parts of our community accessing uh, the drive around vaccination. Clearly, um, over the, I would say, the last couple of months, Pacifica, Pacifica communities and Māori communities uh, were not accessing uh, the vaccinations at anywhere near the same level as um, non-Pacific and non-Māori communities. Uh, it was in everyone's interest to look at strategies around how you address that. Um, so, um, you know, I would be I would be saying to any politician um, that this isn't a time for political point scoring. This is a time to focus on the well-being of everybody that lives in this country. And it's in no one's interests to have sectors of our communities not accessing um, uh, vaccinations, because we all, we will all, um, you know, bear the cost of that um, should that occur. And I, I would, I would also say to politicians, we need to learn from history. You know, and, and immediately after the First World War when the Spanish flu epidemic hit New Zealand, soldiers came back from Europe. You know, who were the communities that suffered most? Māori communities. And, and it's purely because we have a, a lower level of um, tolerance um, to some of these diseases, some of these viruses impact on um, our, our populations, um, more than than other populations. And if you look at the United States, at the stats in the US, and uh, we know that there's, you know, been a large number of people that have lost their lives here. Um, it's had a particular impact in, on First Nations communities and Polynesian communities in the US. So the evidence is all there and the historical evidence is there. Um, you know, there's no need to have an argument over um, the, the case for there being a greater need for um, particular communities. Uh, we just need to um, focus on working for um, the benefit of all. You're listening to The Locals on Free FM 89.0. So far we've been discussing how Maniapoto Trust Board Chair Keith Eichen and support agencies are managing during this latest lockdown. In part two, we continue that conversation, plus what's happening with the settlement process during lockdown. The government uh, has uh, announced that it's going to be um, effectively establishing vaccine passports. This seems to be uh, a worldwide trend. Um, Are you worried that there's going to be um, effectively um, members or communities that are still on the fringe a bit? Um, in the Maniapoto area or even broader um, that aren't either they they don't want to get the vaccine because of, you know, distrust or disinformation or even, you know, can't physically access it. Are you concerned that um, having those passports will effectively cause another layer of discrimination? I think that could absolutely be the case. I am also hearing that, you know, potentially some employers 
uh, looking at policies whereby they will only employ people who have been vaccinated. Um, it may well be uh, for industries like tourism, for example, you know, should at some time in the future our borders open up, not only being able to um, travel overseas, but to also be able to work in an industry uh, where you're in constant contact with people, with visitors. You know, I, I you know, I am, am concerned, you know, that there could be groups of our, within our community who essentially are disenfranchised um, from uh, actually being able to hold jobs uh, because they haven't, uh, for whatever reason, um, accessed, um, accessed vaccinations. I am concerned about the misinformation. Uh, I am concerned about how much purchase that seems to have got within, you know, some of our communities here. Um, and I think that it's just really important that um, all families have um, balanced information uh, on which they can make an informed choice. And some of what you see on social media, um, you know, doesn't provide a, a level of balance. As, as you point out, you know, they're just frankly untruths on, on Facebook and the like. Uh, locally, are you revving up your efforts to dispel that, um, to again, to further coordinating with local um, providers to try and, you know, even if it's that last 10% at the end of this that won't budge, um, just trying to um, work in that area? Yes, we are. We, we've, um, we are looking particularly to target now um, a younger Māori population. Um, and in fact, if you look at the cases in Auckland at the moment, you know, there's a lot of younger ones that have... Um, been impacted by the Delta variant. So um, it is really important that, um, you know, younger, uh, younger population um, get themselves back vaccinated. So, you know, there is a, um, there is a, a, a fairly strong uh, coordinated comms program um, that um, we've been building on um, that's looking to connect with those communities and mobilise them. Uh, as as much as I wanted to, you know, have, have a big, long-ranging conversation about uh, the settlement process, I can I can see that isn't going to happen. Uh, but very briefly, how has COVID affected? Um, the, well, the the settlement process. Uh, you had voting in the midst of all of this. Um, what comes now as as you're grappling with a pandemic and a settlement? Yeah, so the voting closed just before the shutdown, the lockdown, um, and it, it impacted on the ability for us to go through the process of actually ratifying the vote. So that took, um, you know, a couple of weeks when usually it might take two or three days. Um, but we have got a result, and so, um, you know, we're utilising technology um, we've been having a lot of discussions. Uh, we're looking to now start the process of transition uh, from our current organisation to a new uh, organisation to receive the settlement and also to set out the next five years. And a lot of that is focused on engaging with our people, uh, 
and including our people and setting out what that new what that next five years could look like. Um, so I would expect you know it's it's just as well that our people have become accustomed to online communication because uh, I think um, we'll be utilising. Uh, continuing to utilise online communication as we start to um, set out, you know, the direction for the future. One of the transitions that you're going to be deeply involved with is with the former Tokunui Hospital site. Uh, how are things going there? The um, the first step in that process is the remediation of the site. So um, the Crown have agreed to do that. Um, it's now uh, a matter of um, us working with those communities, those whānau that um, you know, are connected to that site and uh, also working with the Crown um, to start that work. Uh, we expect that that will be you know, a considerable um, amount of work required. Um, and so there are there are some you know considerable challenges around how we start to to um, you know to work that that remediation process out. Um, I would expect that it would be at least five years of work um, to clear the site, uh, and through that you know there's a process of us um, also working with those families and those communities you know, to think about what that future might be for that uh, for that site. Another big part of the site or that area is the cemetery where about 500 people were buried, majority in unmarked graves. How are things going with that? Obviously, it's a really difficult situation. Um, have you been having some conversations with the likes of Maurice Inslee um, and those who have been, you know, doing the groundwork over the last sort of decade. Yeah, no, those those conversations are yet to be had. Um, but as part of the sort of first step, which is uh, uh, a cultural impact assessment of the site, um, our understanding is actually that there are multiple burial sites. And if you talk to those who worked at the hospital. Um, they have, you know, in their in their um, accounts, you know, said that actually there are more than than just the the known um, cemetery space. There are other other sites uh, where burials took place. So um, there needs to be a full assessment of the whole area and an identification of these sites, and then there needs to be an agreed. Uh, process put in place around, you know, how we how we move forward. You know, families of those that were um, buried uh, at that site, I'm not, you know, there's lots of question marks uh, that remain unanswered that we need to work our way through. Are you disappointed that it's effectively taken, well, about 107 years since the first burial? for us to get to this point um, with th those buried and, and lost there? Yeah, I think it's, a, it's an indictment on, on uh, government, on New Zealand government. I think, um, you know, the, our history uh, in terms of um, how we have treated those with 
um, um, you know, mental health issues as a country um, is an extremely, it's an extremely poor history. And uh, Tokonui is, 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 is one very clear example of that. Uh, but, you know, there are other examples, Carrington Hospital in Auckland and others, you know, where our history um, in terms of mental health care is extremely poor. Um, I think that um, we have to learn from that. And I think that we owe it to those families um, to um, set out a way forward um, that provides for, you know, a respectful reconciliation um, of um, the way that families have been treated in the past. Thanks, Keith, as well as to Catherine for arranging this interview. So much is happening right now, but if you need a hand, the Money Portal support line is there. 0800 668 285 or check out moneyaportal.iwi.nz And I can't say it enough. If you're able to get the COVID-19 vaccine, do it. It's far safer than the alternative and will help protect you and the people you care for. And that wraps up another show. You can find this and other episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search The Locals and I'll post those links up on the Dan Armstrong Wai Parking Country Facebook page. We'll be back next Monday with another conversation. But until next time, thanks for listening. Cheers. Haere da. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices. Or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.